It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one today. It's going to be interesting. We're going to talk about a lot of different stuff coming up in a little while. We're going to talk with uh, journalists and authors Jack Schneider and uh, Jennifer Berkshire about their new book, A Wolf at the Schoolhouse Door, The Dismantling of Public Education and the Future of School. And um, and then in the uh, third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk about cybersecurity. Uh, last month was uh, Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We didn't really acknowledge it, but we uh, will be coming up a little later on the show with Mark Spock from uh, Riemann, a leading financial services firm uh, in Michigan. And his, uh, his job with them is... Uh, cybersecurity in fact so we're going to talk about that and a lot more but first we're going to talk about food security i don't know if anybody else saw it or if uh, they took the same notice i did but over the last couple of days there were uh, news reports showing lines of people that looked like they went for miles cars just lined up looked like uh, looked like the 405 in los angeles and uh, and come to find out I think this was in Texas, they were lining up for food. And it, it, it's almost impossible to look at and not be, uh, not be affected. Apparently they gave out something like 680,000 pounds of food, which they expect would feed 25,000 people. I'm not sure for how long. But we're going to be talking about food security and more with my guest this hour, who uh, has added a couple of uh, hats, I think, since the last time she was with us from the Food Bank Council uh, and from uh, Feeding America. Dr. Dawn Opal joins me by phone. Dawn, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Now, I don't think you were uh, general counsel for the Food Bank Council of Michigan or chair of the task force uh, uh, for data initiatives uh, with Feeding America the last time you were here? No, there have been a lot of changes uh, since the last time I was on the show, and um, and some of that is related to 
the COVID pandemic and the changing needs of um, of the business for the Food Bank Council of Michigan and for um, and for fighting hunger uh, nationwide. Um, and some is just timing because I was a lawyer before I became a a researcher, and so uh, it just seemed like the right time to uh, to work in that uh, domain again uh, as we are uh, really having to ramp up the work that we're doing at the Food Bank Council. And and let's talk about that a little bit. I mentioned that, that news story I saw, and I don't know if I got all the facts right, um, but it was it was a staggering image of these people lined up for food. And, and th- these were not, you know, people in, in rags and, and straggling along on foot. They were in nice cars, and um, it, it, it was just kind of, I, I don't know, shocking a little bit, I think. Is that something that was unique to Texas because of the pandemic, or is that something that's going on all over the country? It's something that's going on all over the country. And, uh, you know, we have had to really elevate our, uh, our work to meet the need that has come about because of COVID-19 and, the, um, and, and, and what we've had to do for the public health response um, has resulted in a lot of disruption in employment. I think I heard a commercial even coming into the segment that talked about that, about the rising rates of unemployment. And uh, what we have in Michigan, uh, initially before COVID-19, we had a food insecurity rate of about 13.6%, which was around 1.3 million people in Michigan. And what we have found is that since the pandemic, we are now um, at about almost 2 million people who were experiencing food insecurity in Michigan, which is an unprecedented uh, rate of uh, increase. And that is really related to, uh, to disruption and of employment and of other, um, of other stabilizing factors, transportation, uh, 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 lots of factors have contributed to a new kind of food insecurity that I think is what you're talking about, which is a lot of people had, you know, perhaps, you know, they had a, a, a nest egg, a little bit of savings, could get, you know, um, could could go from month to month just fine. But when um, when the, this uh, disruption in employment hit, those savings were drained, and a lot of people are just really are are really in a moment of turmoil right now, and that's what's causing the increase in numbers of people coming out to uh, charitable food distributions because, you know, a lot of folks see this as, and, and rightly so, uh, you know, short-term disruption, but it now looks like it may take a couple of years to get the economy back on track. And so as a result, um, there are a lot of sectors of, uh, of the economy that have a lot of folks that are just, um, that are just really struggling to get by. Yeah, it's, um, I think we talked about this uh a little bit the last time you were here in terms of um, how the the uh, food bank manages to get and distribute food and how there's been this increase in demand um, and and these are people who have have never had a struggle before I read a, a statistic Don, that, that uh, that most American households can't or couldn't afford a $400 emergency. So when the pandemic happened, uh, 
all of a sudden they were unemployed or underemployed and stimulus money really hasn't been enough to make up the difference and so they were starting to look for um, access to food free food and and less expensive food uh, somewhat all of the sudden and for some they've never experienced that before that's absolutely right um, this additional number of food insecure people that were uh, serving right now are not the folks that have experienced deep food insecurity historically. So those would be people who had, you know, who had experience with the Charitable Food Network and also had probably applied before for food assistance from the state uh, government. And so these folks that are that are recently unemployed or underemployed um, often have had no experience with that and so don't know where to go or even if they're eligible for particular programs. And so that also, I think, contributes to the, um, you know, the lines of cars that you're seeing um, at charitable food distributions is that people know that we're here and we um, are, are, are really trying to fill the gap for people that are experiencing food insecurity for the first time. Um, but you're right, it's a, it's a new phenomenon for a lot of people. And you add to that, um, you, you know, a lot of disruption in um, food supply chain, panic buying at the grocery store, fear of going into the grocery store for a lot of older adults that are vulnerable to COVID-19. And it's kind of a perfect storm because, um, you know, because all of that drives uh, more um, sort of disruption and, and, and feelings of insecurity when it comes to food. And there's there's another fear factor, and that is for these people who've never had to go to a food bank or a food distribution center. Um, there's There's a little bit of a shame factor for some of those people, but this has been going on now for eight months, nine months. Um, have you seen that people who maybe were reluctant at first are less reluctant now? And is that making the, the number of people looking for food uh, much larger now? Well, I think, uh, I think it has corresponded a lot with um, the, the virus and the ways in which um, you know, we had in the summertime a little bit of a lull. Um, our numbers went down a little bit, but, you know, with um, the cold weather, um, with the continued uh, uh, uncertainty around school closures, um, and you're right with the stimulus, you know, the stimulus check being long ago and um, unemployment running out, I do think that um, our numbers have Increase and will continue to through the end of the year. In fact, we're we're concerned about the, the about getting through the winter just because of this um, conflation of events. And I think that I think that you're you're absolutely right that when people come for the first time, um, the, you know they're they're trying to sort of figure out what um, the what the protocol is and and you know how they'll be treated. And I think that they learn that you know that we are really trying to give people a lift with dignity and autonomy, and you know that that is. Um, really a big part of our mission of what we do. And um, we hope that that provides some degree of comfort to our clients and that they, you know, they learn about how this system works. I don't know if 
Um, you know, I think that it's that we still are having a lot of people who are coming for the first time. So, you know, so it's a it's definitely a learning experience. It's our job to make sure that we communicate as well as we can through outreach, you know, where we are, how it works and um, and and, you know, and try to try to really quell concerns and fears about coming out. Um, knowing that that's our job right now is to really uh, is to really fill that need for people um, that are that are hurting um, in this in this uh, time. So, um, so I'm not sure if that's I'm not sure if that's a great answer to your question because I think it's some of both. I think it, it's becoming as more and more people see um, like those stories like you were just talking about. I think it is starting to normalize a very very un, you know unusual unprecedented situation. And people are starting to realize that they're not alone and that, um, you know, there's there's no shame in getting help if you need help. That's absolutely right. I think uh, one thing that I think people have really seen as a result of this year has been that anyone, you know, truly anyone can experience food insecurity, that, you know, that, that it can be your neighbor, it can be your grandparents, you know, it can be really anyone. And this, I think... The fact that we can see how uh, how little really stands in in between someone who you know who is fine one day but then the next day um, you know really can't provide you know food for their families that's really what we're trying to um, trying to show that that's you know what we're here to to help solve. Um, and and Dawn the. Uh I, I want to talk a little bit about planning for next year because the uh, the, the pandemic has has respiked. In fact, it's uh, the number of cases has has grown uh, dramatically as the the weather has started to cool off in some regions of the country, um, and and we're seeing spikes everywhere, and, and especially in Michigan. And we're looking at more lockdowns. Is the the planning and and uh, uh, forecasting that you're doing? Um, are, are are you anticipating to continue to see high demand uh, in and and throughout 2021? Yes, and that's a big part of our our work right now is to um, is to. Uh, plan and have, you know, have ready uh, resources in order to be able to meet that need. But we are definitely seeing that we're going to have elevated rates of food insecurity probably through 2022. And so, uh, you know, in, in Part of the difficulty with right now, and as as everyone is experiencing, is that we don't really know. Um, we're hopeful that there'll be another federal uh, relief package coming in 2021, but we have to be here no matter what. So, um, you know, so so working to identify where both food supply is going to come from and the resources to pay for it is a big part of of our continuing uh, work right now. And so, thankfully, we've had. Um, we've had a lot of partners come alongside us and um, and be a part of you know contributing um, and and donating to our cause and but you know we still need to make sure that we are you know able to plan for what is still a pretty uncertain short term yeah Don I, I I need to interrupt here I have to go to break can you stick around so we can talk some more 
Absolutely. Great. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, pearly gate rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian Residence, add $3. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner program.com The Tom Sumner program.com This is Congressman Dan Kildee and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about uh, food banks and food insecurity with uh, Don Opal from the Food Bank Council uh, of Michigan and uh, Feeding America. Don, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks. I'm glad to be here to talk about this today. Um, during the last uh, segment, I, I started out talking about a uh, an image I had seen uh, on the evening news and I believe it was in Texas, of cars lined up for what looked like miles. It may have, in fact, been a mile. Um, and, and they were driving up to, um, like, tents and trucks, and, and food was being loaded into trunks, and then it was, it was like a drive-through operation. And I think one of the things that I wanted to talk about is how the pandemic has changed the policies and procedures and methods for food banks and food distribution centers uh, um, from your perspective? Sure. So, yes, that image that you saw is very much the model that uh, that food banks across the country, including in Michigan, are using uh, to provide food safely and also to meet the elevated needs. So these drive-through models um, are uh, meant to keep people um, it, safely in their cars, a contactless way of receiving the food. Um, but also with a drive-through distribution, we can, um, we can uh, serve a lot more clients very quickly. So it's also changed. Uh, you know, people probably have an image when they think of food pantries of, you know, brick-and-mortar church pantries and other types of um, community partners inside a facility, you know, where they're open a couple hours a week. And what we've had to do during COVID-19 is really reimagine um, how we can drive food and get it to large numbers of people quickly. And so a lot of times those distributions that you see with the tents and um, the, the tractor trailers, those are all staff run by food bank um, professional staff, paid staff. And, um, and that's in order to make sure that we can, um, you know, the quantity of food that we're moving is so huge, we need to be sure that, um, that we can um, get that direct to clients um, quickly and, um, and at scale. So uh, it has really changed uh, the model in terms of instead of pantries uh, coming to order food from food banks and picking it up at the warehouse, Food banks themselves are delivering food often to, um, you know, will be go to a parking lot at a large place like a mall or a, you know, a, a, a place where we can get a lot of cars through. Um, and uh, and often it's hundreds, hundreds of cars will serve 350, 500 families at one distribution. And and have has the eligibility changed? I'm sure people um, are curious about who qualifies. Sure. So it depends um, on the, uh, you know, sort of the, the type of distribution. And that is usually, um, 
usually there is there is no um, you know other than a self declaration of the need of food there is not um, an eligibility per se some programs do have eligibility requirements that for a while during COVID-19 were waived just because of the disruption that we talked about earlier um, so you know we serve without you know you know in a sort of blind to um, you know to eligibility requirements, um, but there are some federal programs that do have eligibility requirements. Um, but those are all um, those are all well uh, disclosed and um, and and. But for the most part, what you're seeing with these really long lines um, for these mobile distributions, uh, those are just if you are in need of food, you can come to that mobile distribution and receive food. And and when we see something like that, it's it's really easy to imagine um, people having the need and showing up in those big numbers, but that creates pressure on on the food banks and the various distribution uh, components uh, in the network to have more food. You can't just conjure that up. Where is food coming from? Well, that's that's a very good point. So that is a, a huge uh, part of our work is to uh, is to figure out how to source that food and also how to identify, you know, with some degree of certainty, how you know what the need is going to be at those um, at those distributions. So um, food is coming from a lot of different places. We get um, food from the USDA. We um, you know we order a lot of food that we're receiving funds from both the state and federal government and from um, charitable donations. Um, and you know we do a, a sizable amount of fundraising. Um, but you know, but right now there is um, some pressure because at the end of the year, some of the programs that we receive food from, like the USDA, are coming to an end. Um, as well as uh, we have to, you know, constantly be vigilant around food supply and making sure that um, that we have what we need to distribute. So it's a, um, you know, it's a it's a difficult process to sort of anticipate uh, what's to come, and we are very concerned, as I said earlier, about the end of the year because. Um, we have this, again, this sort of new surge. Uh, a lot of what we also do is outreach and, um, and an understanding of what uh, state uh, assistance is available to folks, too. So we also try to work with our partners from Michigan Department of Health and Human Services to make sure that, uh, that clients are taking advantage of the other programs that are available for the state, particularly if they plan to be, un you know, if there's going to be unemployment for some time, um, you know, if there's, you know, if there's eligibility for other types of food programs like SNAP, we want people to make sure that they're taking advantage and receiving those benefits, um, as well as the school programs for kids, um, the nutrition programs that are, um, you know, the grab-and-go meals that you see being distributed at schools. Um, we have also had the benefit of um, additional uh, funds for uh pandemic EBT for low-income students um, and their families to receive um, additional funds uh, for food uh, during the pandemic. So we want to make sure that um, we want to make sure that folks are taking advantage of the programs that are available to them. In the uh, stimulus, uh, stimulus package that, that passed last year, where uh, most people got $1,200 checks, but there were a number of other uh, organizations and, and uh, 
municipal and state governments and, and agencies and things that got funding as part of the overall umbrella uh, stimulus bill. Um, were food banks and food distribution centers, uh, did, did they benefit from any of that? Was there money set aside to help with feeding people? Yes. Um, so, uh, so the, we did receive uh, funds from the CARES Act um, to, and, and, and certainly from the state of Michigan, as well as from, um, we've worked closely with several departments of the, of the state of Michigan, as well as the State Emergency Operations Center, um, and, and have really benefited from partnerships with the state, uh, some of which has been federal assistance that's come through the states. Um, so we, so we absolutely have, and we're hopeful that, you know, those funds are all going to be gone by the end of the year. So we're hopeful that, um, that that continues. Although the bills that were introduced towards the end of the year that didn't pass for additional relief did not include, uh, funds that would, um, that would benefit food banks. But we're hopeful that in the new year that, um, that we'll be able to, um, to work toward that again. But that's the, that's the concern for sure is that yes, um, a lot of our partner organizations, the state, um, and, um, and, 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 and certainly our network, uh, benef- did receive funds to purchase food, um, that went directly out to those mobile distributions that you were talking about earlier. Is there a big difference between urban areas and rural areas when it comes to food insecurity? Well, that's, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because that's something that we have, um, we have really been taking a look at. And so we know that, um, that in rural areas that people are driving to those, again, those mobile distributions that you mentioned, people can drive hours to get to one of those. And th- that particularly is the case for those living in rural areas. We've learned that transportation and, ac- and food access more broadly um, is is definitely uh, a problem in rural areas. Food can be more expensive because, frankly, there's just less um, there's less competition. You know, with independent retailers closing in rural areas, and you know, so often we hear that food prices are higher. Um, but certainly, that um, for particularly for vulnerable populations like older adults, um, individuals with disabilities, and others. That, um, that getting out of their home for food is, is, is particularly difficult. We found that in rural areas, they can be really disproportionately affected because we don't have um, oftentimes infrastructure to get food close to them. So part of uh, what we worked on during the pandemic was how to improve uh, you know, home delivery uh, and getting food out to places that are harder to get to. Um, and certainly there are higher rates of deep food insecurity in urban areas as well, particularly, um, you know, the southeast Michigan. We know that that is for certain the case. Rural areas just have different kinds of food insecurity issues than well, urban and, areas do. And I think that's something we, we maybe talked about before, Don, um, this, this idea that even within uh, cities and, and urban areas, there are food deserts. Um, where that's, a, a that's whole correct. yeah a whole section of town that maybe just doesn't have a grocery store and then transportation becomes a real component in whether or not those people can get access to food because they have to like you were describing with uh, people from some rural areas drive longer distances to get to where the food is 
That's right. Transportation and food access go hand in hand. So, um, so you're absolutely right that in that in many areas of the state, access is difficult because of transportation and just proximity. Um, and that's something that um, that we really struggle with how to um, how to address that during COVID nineteen. That's been particularly difficult because um, you know getting. Uh, early on, I think we we might have talked about this earlier uh, that uh, that older adults had a difficult time getting in and out of the grocery store um, safely and and had con- real concerns about going and so figuring out how to help those people who um, who really uh, you know needed assistance um, with uh, home delivered food, especially, um, you know, it took, it took several months and we were finally successful, uh, partnering with the state to get, um, and advocating for, uh, the ability to order groceries online using, um, using online SNAP or EBT, the, you know, for low income people to be able to purchase groceries over the phone, um, or online has been, um, a difficulty across the country, um, but, We've been able to get some successful uh, partnerships going with retailers to make that happen, um, and I think that will continue to grow as uh, as as we move forward. But you're absolutely right that um, that you know that that the transportation piece is part and parcel a part of the food access and food security issue, and um, and they have to be sort of resolved hand in hand. You know, on the subject of, of supply chain, um, and, and maybe a lot of people don't realize that the Food Bank Council of Michigan has several food bank members, but there are also other participants within that network, churches and community centers and um, other other organizations that help identify who needs food and, and help with the distribution. Um, and there's there's a whole network, a whole system in place. And I was just wondering if, if that extends nationally, Dawn, and if there are areas where the food need is greater than some other areas, and if there is the ability to redirect some food from some parts of the country to others where it's um, needed uh, or, or in greater demand. Yeah, so I think that one of the things that, that we are really trying to learn is is where exactly those greater needs are. Right now, the need is elevated everywhere as a result of um, COVID-19. And um, one of the things that's very, I think, uh, some a conversation that is growing uh across the country is is an is a discussion of sort of equity in food access so an understanding of what areas have been historically uh, uh, food insecure for years and years as a result of um, redlining housing transportation networks etc um, and what areas have more resources than other areas to meet needs? So um, I've definitely been a part of, of discussions uh, with Feeding America, talking about how we better understand uh, what it, you know, what the unique needs of different areas are, and how to meet those needs better. Um, and part of that includes sort of a, an understanding of um, being able to, uh, to to understand with data. Um, where, you know, be able to ca- sort of overlay some of these issues on top of one another um, and start to, um, start to really disaggregate uh, client data to really start to understand 
um, you know, where some of these um, where some of these intersections lie with um, with very deep food insecurity and looking at racial disparities, much like the um, task force on racial disparities in healthcare, uh, Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist uh, task force has been looking at. I mean, much the same work needs to happen with food security, and and frankly, most every um, basic need issue is sort of tied to this. Is like, what are the historic um, and systemic roots of poverty, and then also looking at cr- these current trends around unemployment um, and around food supply, and thinking about um, thinking about how we can more equitably uh, manage those resources. But those are very uh, timely conversations, and I think will continue to grow over time as we think about how to be the best stewards of our resources. Um, and it, it's, you know, I think it's a, a very important um, discussion to have now, and um, and I'm really glad to, to see that um, growing. And I think you'll see more of that kind of um, partnership and and thought process around equity and food access and food security in in the in the coming years. Don, has has long range planning been interrupted by the pandemic in favor of almost a, a, a more crisis management approach? Well, I would say that um, in March and April, that was certainly the case that, you know, that this was a new kind of work for us to do. And we had to really change our infrastructure to uh, to address it. And I think that um, it, it, I think we're now coming to uh, I've heard this phrase like the new normal, but understanding that this does need to be a part of our long-range plan now, that this isn't just a reactionary kind of crisis management situation, but something that we're going to be living with for years and and need to be prepared for um, in the future. And so I think a lot of a lot of our planning now involves how do we work better with local uh, uh, emergency management? How do we work better with local government and and, uh, state government, federal government all work together with the charitable food network? How do we um, extend partnerships and programs to be um, more responsive to these kinds of um, disruptions? And so I think what was a kind of crisis management is now becoming the strategic plan. You mentioned um, charitable uh, food networks, and um, and and I wanted to maybe sort of underscore the fact that the food that we're talking about that's distributed through the the food banks and uh, their various partners, um, there are no fees for any of that. That's right. Yes, this is this is absolutely a, a free to 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 clients, and um, and we are a nonprofit, a community based organization network. Um, that, you know, I think that what one of the things that we have found is that because our network extends to every county in the state and, you know, we have seven food banks across the state of Michigan, um, we've been an effective uh, arm of the state um, emergency management plan for uh, emergency food um, because we're, we're there and, and we have ex- really good partnerships with um, with many departments of state government, and so, but we are a nonprofit, and we we frequently have to remind people of that because uh, because it is uh, it's an important you know it's an important distinction to make that we do uh, you know that we do uh, fundraise and that we do uh, you know rely on donor support and and we are a charitable service. And um, the food that uh, that food banks collect um 
is is that stuff that has to be purchased or is it donated by I, I don't know big chain stores and and other sources yeah so that's another interesting um point particularly during the pandemic that um that we do do um we do receive donations from large retailers that we that we go and you know pick up and especially food um that would you know that that we kind of get just in time um from the large retailers during covid there's been a lot less of that though because of the um, you know, because people have been buying in bulk and, you know, there's very little inventory left and they're moving inventory very fast. So that requires us to purchase more food. And that's, um, and that's been something that, um, that has changed quite a bit is in our model is that we've instead been using, um, philanthropic dollars and state and federal dollars and other, you know, other, um, resources to purchase a, a huge amount of food for, you know, for, to meet this need. Um, so, you know, and the other, the other part that's been difficult is that traditionally people tend to think of food banks as places where they receive a lot of donated food, um, you know, through food drives and, this, and other kinds of things. But during COVID-19, obviously, that kind of, um, you know, that kind of support for safety reasons and because, volunteer um, involvement has decreased and, and a lot of times that's because of this of the um, the public health decisions but also because a lot of people aren't going out to work anymore and working and, and going with large work groups to volunteer with us so um, so all of that has put more um, emphasis on purchasing food um, which we have been doing you know over the last you know 10 to 20 years plus you know with greater uh, uh, frequency and and greater volume, so I think that will continue to be the case. And and I I just want to say very briefly that for anybody that uh, has the impression that the food that's available through this food bank network is uh, all fruit cakes and canned vegetables, it's it's not. It 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 has become a very sophisticated. Um, menu of of items that are available absolutely so we uh we work in a huge volume of 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 produce uh dairy protein fresh protein um so and that is um absolutely a huge part of our work is to is to source in nutritionally balanced and um healthy fresh uh uh, uh food menu for our clients so we receive um, commodities from the USDA. We receive all different kinds of fruits and vegetables. We've been, you know, and we've been have excellent relationships and partnerships uh, with Michigan Milk and other um, and other suppliers of uh, of all all kinds of fresh food. So I'm glad that you that you brought that up. Yeah, the idea of moving canned food um, it's really evolved um, in in the the last several years to to be a a, a very healthy and um and and i think nutritionally um sound choice for clients um don we have to end it here we got about a minute left and i want to make sure as i always do that you have an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about and about you know the food bank network is there an ideal resource for people to go to a website 
Sure, absolutely. So you can go to the Food Bank Council of Michigan's website and find um, everything that you um, that that you could possibly be interested in finding around um, our virtual food drive, which we're running right now, information about COVID-19, uh, information about our work with the Governor's Task Force on Food Security, the Food Security Council, and, and lots of other uh, information. So if you go to sbcmich.org, you can find us, Food Bank Council Michigan, sbcmich.org. Um, you can find us there. Well, Don, um, we have to end it, but uh, thanks so much and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk with you this morning. Take care. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers, and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. 
State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed. A magical place with magical charms Indoors, indoors, indoors Take it away! Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Oh, great lovers of the world, lend me thy ears. Where has love wrought? (laughs) Love has wrought beauty. Love is the world. The world is love. And the great lovers of the world have made the earth a very precious, beautiful, and lovely place. Where is the love? Tell me. It's there. (laughs) Oh, where is the love? It's there. Where is the love? It's there. Do you know where the love is? It's there, Tom. It's all around you. Love is everywhere. Love is ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-moving. Love is passionate. It is flowing. It is sweet. It is wonderful. Love is compassion. Love is... Love is God. This is a song of two lovers. Right. Not world-famous lovers. Not a Romeo and Juliet. Not that type of a love. But two people whose love was an unrequited love. Unrequited love. Very beautiful love. A love that very few people ever hear of. It's a story of Herman and Sally. You've heard of him, huh? Herman was a lobster. And Sally was a crab. (laughs) Never work out that way, will it? (laughs) Herman met Sally on the beach one night. The sea was calm and the starfish were bright. He looked at her and she looked at him and it was true love at first sight. Now Herman told his folks about the girl he found and they said, Herman, there must be other girls around. (laughs) Cause crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight and we won't let you take her for your mate. Everybody sing now! Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight and we won't let you take her for your mate. Where is love? Try singing like that. (laughs) 
Poor Herman and poor Sally. Whence did their love whence wrong? Oh, the bittersweet pain of love's nectar. Yes, Herman, though he loved Sally, could not marry her, could not have her for his own. Herman was a lobster, Sally was a crab. Herman lived in a restricted neighborhood. <laughs> so he had to make a decision. And Herman made a decision which was sad and very hard for him to do. But then, being a lobster, Herman had no backbone. <laughs> Herman told Sally and it broke her heart she had loved that lobster right from the start He took her in his closet and said I'll always be yours But still, we really have to part Sally said let's talk to your mom and your dad I'll show them that crabs really aren't that bad <laughs> They turned her away, what would the neighbors say? And they laughed at the funny walk she had Two, three, Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Sing out friends now Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Once again, gang! Oh, crabs walk sideways Lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your pain One more time now! Oh, crabs walk sideways Lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your pain One day on a sandbar What did Herman see But his little old Sally Walking straight as can be He said, Sally, I can take you in my family And she said, Herman don't you street at me. Crabs <laughs> <laughs> walk sideways and lobsters walk straight and we won't let you take it for your pain. Hungarian food, they have a goulash, which is very good. Or if you wish a dish that's Chinese, somewhere down in Colombia, there's lobster Cantonese. Enchiladas, that's what people eat in Mexico. Shish kebab is skewered in Armenia, you know. Then there's blubber, the favorite of the frigid Eskimo. Such delicious dishes, no matter where you go. Chicken cacciatore is Italian. Kangaroo souffle must be Australian. Mutton chops are definitely British. Chicken soup undoubtedly is Yiddish. Pumpernickel comes from Lithuania. Hot Sun Fern comes from Pennsylvania. Wiener schnitzel's Austrian or German. Kindly pass the sauerbrot in Herman. Borscht is what they're eating in the Soviet. Wait, I think we've got some on the stove yet. <laughs> See the 
Mouse, mouse, underneath the jungle sky. Jolly mouse, mouse, eating missionary pie. Frenchmen eat a lot of bouillabaisse there. Dutchmen eat a sauce called hollandaise there. Smorgasbord in Sweden is the winner. In America, it's TV dinner. So, there you have one food from each land. Each one delicious, each one simply grand. Mix them all up. In one big mishmash, and what have you got? Hungarian goulash. Hey! This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
the storm, Omaha Beach, or Pork Chop Hill, and we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized. <laughs> As soon as I regain consciousness. You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! It's time.